Well, good morning. We're going to kickstart a new series by watching a, a little video that's going to appear just on the screen now, and then you'll be back to me in a second. The Bible is one big story that tells again and again of God's deep and abiding commitment to humanity. He is faithful, he is constant, and he is incredibly patient, choosing to come close to us time and time again, even when we turn away from him. Over this series, beginning in Genesis and finishing in Revelation, we will follow the arc of Scripture, discovering the faithfulness of God through many different stories and over many generations. And through it, we will discover that this is our story too. We've been welcomed into a rich and rewarding relationship with God and are given responsibility to carry as we depend on Him. We too have a part to play in God's work, transforming this world and this city. As we journey through this big story, let's allow the flame of God's love for us to rekindle our commitment to Him and reignite a passion to live faithful to the calling He's placed on each of our lives. Amazing. It's so good, isn't it? Such a good little intro video. So we are kicking off a new sermon series starting today that's going to see us through till summer, and we're calling it The Big Story. Um, our plan is that through this series, beginning in Genesis and finishing in Revelation, we will follow the arc of Scripture and gain a better understanding of the big picture of the Bible. And our desire is to help each of us in our church family, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, to rediscover our love for Scripture and the God revealed in its pages. That's why we're also reading the New Testament 100 days alongside this, to help us give this big picture more depth. And since it's a bit of an unusual sermon series and we want to cover a lot of ground quickly, we're going to do things a little bit differently. So we're going to do a bit of doubling up on preaches. So you and I are going to be on a journey together for the next two weeks as we explore some of the start of um, Genesis together. There are two key themes which, themes which we'll see time and time again as we dig into this series and read the big story together. The first is we'll discover the constant abounding faithfulness of God throughout history and in many different stories and over many generations. God commits himself to us with incredible faithfulness, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Second, we'll discover throughout that we're invited to make it our story too. The big story in scripture is the same story that God wants to work out in us and through us as his people, which means that it calls us to something. This isn't just a book for us to read and intellectually think about, but it, it calls us to get involved, to roll up our sleeves and get stuck into the kingdom building work of God around us in this city. So the two words we'll use each week to summarize this kind of twofold work we see going on in scripture are relationship and responsibility. This morning, we're going to start at the beginning, funnily enough, in Genesis chapters one through three the origin story of all that is created and our origin story. Before we dig into this passage, um, I think it's important for us to note here that the book of Genesis especially, and particularly these chapters, um, can be divisive. They're, they have been used in mis and misused in many different ways over the last hundred years or so. And I'd say the misuses of it largely comes about when people fall into one of these two camps. The first camp we can find ourselves in is in the modern history camp. And this camp is full of people who want Genesis to do the same work that contemporary history books do. 
And we can get tangled up seeking Genesis to be about a facts-driven timeline of history. And while we want to protect the history of the account, the danger is we can get a bit distracted looking at that and end up spending more time to, trying to defend Genesis against maybe an approach to suggest that the universe was formed in anything other than seven 24-hour periods. And in that distraction, we might miss who and what is primarily being revealed. And the second camp we could find ourselves in is in, at the other end, where we can try to remove all history altogether and just treat Genesis as an allegory, a nice bedtime story that we learned as kids and we read to our kids to teach us morals and about good and bad. And again, that sets a fairly unhelpful precedent for us if we find ourselves sitting here. To rid ourselves of any historical understanding is to miss the creator God who is at work in our history. And even more, we miss the necessity and centrality of Jesus if we think about it simply about learning good morals. And so as we come to this passage in Genesis, as we read Genesis together, we read it as God history. So what do I mean by that? The passage in Genesis that we're reading speaks to and reveals the work of God amongst us and in the history of humanity. And so we read it to discover who the God is who made all of creation and made all of humanity and about how we fit into this story. So let's dig into this big story together, starting in Genesis 1. And we'll read uh, one section and then stop and then read another section later. So God has just finished creating the earth, the sky, stars, plants, fish, birds, and animals. And we reach verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So let's stop here. We find right at the outset of humanity's creation that God intended two things for us. First, he intended for us to be in relationship with him. We were to be like God, to know God intimately. And so just pause for a moment and let's just let that sink in afresh this morning. The creator God, who spoke everything into being, chose to make us, humanity, look like him. We were made in the image of God. Now, lots of people have spent a whole lot of time writing about what that really means. But the suggestion that I find most compelling comes from the language that God uses when he describes making us in verse 26. It says this, let us after our likeness. You notice it says us rather than me in verse 26. What does that show us? It shows us that right at the heart of God is a relationship. We call it 
Trinitarian theology. And usually we can get a bit tangled up trying to explain it. So in one minute, I'm going to try and clear up all of that with some Trinitarian theology. And so after church, you can say to people who ask you what you're up to today, he's like, well, I learned some Trinitarian theology and I bet they'll all be impressed. The, the big question lots of us wrestle with when we think about this topic is, how can one God have three persons? We we're even just singing about it in that last song, weren't we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does that work? And often we end up getting into some like pictures and analogies in a conversation, which are, if we're honest, are pretty rubbish. Maybe we're talking about a beach ball with different sides or talking about water, ice, and steam all kind of doing different things. And, and while they might initially seem to do an okay job, they actually fall apart quite quickly. And what they do, I think, is they actually get in the way of us really exploring this incredible truth, which I think we're called to and invited to in Scripture. So I want to suggest that there's a better way to understand the one and three of God. And that better way is when we start to think about the oneness of God being found in the deep, deep intimacy of the three persons. We get a better understanding of the Trinity, oneness and threeness, when we start to think about the oneness of God being found in the deep, deep intimacy of the three persons. In the Father, as he relates to the Son, as a Son to the Father, and the Holy Spirit who flows between the Father and Son. They are so deeply and lovingly for one another, without selfishness, without self-centered motives, so entirely self-giving, that while they are distinctive persons, they are also completely inseparable and form one uncreated being. There is an analogy which can be helpful in describing this, and um, it's the idea of a dance. It's the sense that the movement of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit constantly flowing and turning in such a way that when you glimpse one, you also immediately see the others in the blur of movement together. So what does that mean for us with that picture in mind, with that understanding of how God works? It means that the image-bearing part of us, of humanity, is our invitation to be caught up in that intimate relationship with God. God, in creating us, invited us to participate in this incredible, self-giving, loving relationship that is right at the centre of who God is. That is the distinctive of what makes us different to all the rest of creation. And it is absolutely astounding to really consider. I mean, I'm not sure I'd have done that if I was God. I probably would have said, well, you know, we've got a good thing going on here. We don't need anyone else, so let's just not do anything too disruptive. Better make sure that whatever we create has some distance from us. But that's not how God works. In the creation of humanity, he chose to make people who are able to discover and be drawn into this loving relationship that is right at the heart of who God is. And the incredible news that is that in Jesus, that can be our reality too. God invites us to be caught up into his life. Do we really live as if that is reality? Do we allow God to draw us closer and closer to his heart when we spend time with him? Or do we expect to be met with distance whenever we approach him? I wonder that God in this passage might want to remind us afresh of the depths of his love again today. And if that is you especially, then just take a moment to allow God to remind you again who he is and to draw you closer and closer into his heart again.
so if relationship is the first thing we discover in the origin story of humanity, the second thing we discover is that we are given responsibility right at the outset of creation. Adam and Eve didn't just hang about on clouds when they were created. Adam and Eve were given work to do. The origins of work is a God-given gift and responsibility. God calls us to be people who look after the earth, to care for it as they populate it with people and to help it grow and flourish. It was always God's intention that we might carry responsibility. And so these two things, relationship and responsibility, are foundational to our creative purpose, to know God and to be people who carry God-given responsibility. So following that so far, what's set out in chapter one? And then the second chapter of Genesis, it kind of fleshes out this theme further, and it adds into the mix a crucial third ingredient. Genesis 2 tells us that all of this, all of what we set out so far, relationship and responsibility, all of this hinged on Adam and Eve recognizing their dependence on God. That's their part to play in this incredible relationship, to recognize that they are created, not creator, limited, not limitless, and that all they have and carry comes from God. And God made that crystal clear by placing a tree in the center of the garden, right beside the tree of life, which was visible, but not for them to eat from. This, this wasn't some kind of twisted test. The tree was put there so that they might understand that this life they were given is a gift from God. And it was a visible reminder to them each day that they know and experience and discover life to its full when they depend fully on God. That's what Genesis 2 is setting out, that way of understanding who we are and how we relate to God. And the same is true for us. Despite what we hear all around us all the time, and even actually what creeps into Christian circles, we are not limitless, and we were never created to be limitless. We were created to know our limits so that we might depend on the God who is limitless. And I mean, that's a whole other sermon. I've actually preached it before. But this last year has confronted us with this reality more than ever before, hasn't it? As many of us struggle more with our mental health in this time and wrestle deeply with that internal limitation. And with all of us being faced with the disappointment and frustration of the external limits of lockdown, we need to realize afresh that we are not limitless. But we were made to find all we need in God and nowhere else. Maybe we've just done a good job at distracting ourselves from that truth until this point. So relationship, responsibility, dependence. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 set out. But as we know, the story doesn't end there. And so we need to continue and read Genesis 3. And I'm going to read from verse 1 of Genesis 3 up here on the screen as well. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, 
and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The story continues in the next few verses and God responds to what Adam and Eve have done by sending them from the garden. And he names the impact of their decision, that they will know distance and death, toil and hard labour. And so the intentions behind God's creation of humanity that we see set out in Genesis 1 and 2 are pulled apart by the actions of the fall. And right at the heart of it was Adam and Eve doubting the faithfulness of God. All it took was Satan to whisper the question, is it true? Is what God said really true? Why not test for yourself? Maybe there's another way for you to live without dependence on God. And Adam and Eve decided to test and see what would happen. And in that moment, there's a theologian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he says their hearts turned inwards. Where before they knew who they were as they related to God, to each other, and as they related to the world, now their identity is entirely self-centered and they have no place. They fear the perspective of others. They hide and they are shamefully aware of themselves. There's uh, one poet who writes about Genesis 3 and she says this, Fragmented Adam stares, God's hands unseen, the whirling rides dazzle, the lights blind him. Fragmented, he is not present. This is what independence from God brings. It fragments us. And more than that, it fragments all of creation. Everything that we were given responsibility to care for, it was ours and we have broken it apart. And so this is how sin enters. And based on Genesis 1 through 3, we can then define sin as anything which is turning away from the person and work of God. And so it's not just us doing bad things. It's not just about external morality, but it's the throwing off of dependence on God and trusting in ourselves instead, in our own lives, and our own actions. This takes root in the heart and lives of Adam and Eve. And as James shared last week in Good Friday, the impact of humanity turning away from God so completely in this way was that the perfect, loving and holy God also put distance between himself and humanity. So this is part of our story. This is our origins, our history, but it's also what we can observe in our present reality. This, this story is still being played out over and over again in the world around us. We're being bombarded with a different story, a different narrative, which puts us, our needs, our wants at the center. And if you're a young adult, then I think you will likely feel this more keenly than any other generation right now, because the primary place we see this happening is online, it's on social media. There is a convincing and fairly pervasive narrative right now online, which seeks to make a claim on who we are, on our identity, to tell us the things which are most important about ourselves. And more than that, actually, which begins to seek to make bigger claims about who the world is for and how we ought to change it. We see this going on all the time around us. And the key way that we can tell that it's a different story to what is offered in Jesus 
is that almost none of what we read has any need for God. Many of the stories we see highlighted online, much of the pressure we're made to feel to engage with each movement in a certain way, all of that stuff, it hinges on the assumption that changing the world is up to us alone. All of it is won or lost by human effort and without Jesus, and it assumes that we are on our own in this. Do we see that? Do we recognize that amongst us or even in us this morning? Family, there's, there's nowhere else we can truly find our identity than in the arms of God. And there's no other way that we will see this world truly and fully transformed other than in the person and work of Jesus. And that this is what we discover through Genesis. Finally, and thankfully, the fall is not the final word. Even, even here in Genesis 3, we discover the abounding faithfulness of God. You see, God knew this would happen. He knew that he'd be utterly betrayed by his creation. And even as he and humanity become distant from one another, he makes a promise that he will once and for all end the distance between us and God. In verse 15 of chapter 3, he says, of a descendant of Adam and Eve, that he will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel. And so it's not really spelling out the details, but here God points towards Jesus, putting an end to the distance for good. The ending is given away at the beginning. This is the solution that God has in his sights. And it's even at the point when Adam and Eve have just betrayed him. Really think about this, get this. Even at the point where Adam and Eve have just betrayed God, at the lowest point in our history, when humanity has done everything wrong, utterly betrayed God and messed up all of creation, God in that moment tells us that he has a plan. And his plan is that he is going to come into our mess to put on flesh and blood in order that he might undo the damage that we have done. This is Jesus the Son of God becomes fully human. And in fact, we see that work of God redeeming our mess in every point of Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels. At each point where all of humanity since Adam and Eve have chosen independence from God, Jesus chooses to depend on his Father. And at each point where Adam and Eve fail, Jesus gets it right for us. And we're going to see that unpacked in the coming weeks. But let me just give you one example. Right at the start of Jesus' ministry, in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record that Jesus is baptized. And in that moment, God the Father affirms that Jesus is the beloved Son of God. And then immediately, he goes into the wilderness and is tested by Satan. And it's really interesting to look at it after having read Genesis, because Satan hasn't learned anything new in thousands of years. He does the exact same thing to Jesus that he did to Adam and Eve. He comes up to Jesus and asks the question, is it true? Are you really who God the Father says you are? Is it really true? Why not test it? And where Adam and Eve fail, Jesus does not. He trusts in God completely and gives himself fully, even to the point of death, so that we might be restored and redeemed. In Jesus, we are no longer fragmented. In Jesus, the image of God is restored in us 
and all of creation is being restored through him. What incredible faithfulness that God would choose to bind himself to us, even in our sin and brokenness, right from the start. And my prayer is that through this series, this becomes our story again afresh as God's people, our history, our present and our future. Because this is a narrative which is the heartbeat of the people of God and the story we will find told again and again throughout scripture, why we were created, what we have lost and what we find restored in Jesus. We get to experience the depths of love and faithfulness of God, even right now, even right now. And we have a restored calling as we depend on him. We are called to be people who participate in all that Jesus is doing as he restores creation for his glory. Let me pray for us. Thank you, God, for this incredible story that we have been reflecting on again afresh. God, thank you for the way that you bind yourself to us, that you set a plan and were unshaken in that plan, even at the point where we completely messed up and betrayed you. Jesus, thank you that you came and lived amongst us and have restored us and offered us an opportunity to live in your relationship and to be caught up in the life of God. And God, I pray that this morning we would be drawn into your heart again. We'd be drawn closer and closer to the relationship which makes up your person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, even in this moment, that you'd be drawing us to the heart of the Father. Reminding us again of who we are and who you call us to be. Amen.